You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to another episode of Psalms for Sojourners. I'm Cole Kirby, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose and the host of this podcast. And in this week's episode, I sat down with Taylor Ince, um, the pastor over at Sojourn Galleria, the planting pastor there. Um, Taylor is a scholar, um, he's a pastor, and he's a friend. And this week, I got to hear uh, from Taylor regarding Psalm 65, um, which he describes as one of the more overlooked psalms. But as we dug into it, we found just infinite beauty in God's Word there. Um, but one of the reasons that I think that that this podcast should be helpful to you is that um, not only is Taylor a, a scholar of the Scriptures and a pastor who is very thoughtful about God's Word and God's people, but Taylor, more than anyone I know, is deeply devoted to the Psalms in his personal devotional life. Uh, and so toward the beginning of the podcast, I just got to hear him talk about um, the role that the Psalms play in his daily life as a Christian, and it was encouraging to me and challenging to me and exciting to me, uh, making me want to devote myself even more uh, to the prayer book and to the hymnal that God has given us in the Psalms. I hope this week's episode is a blessing to you. Uh, participating in the conversation was a blessing to me. Thanks. All right, I'm here with Taylor Entz, uh, pastor at Sojourn Galleria. Taylor, it's good to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, well, before we jump in, for those who are listening who might not know you or be as familiar with you, uh, why don't you just take a second to introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm Taylor Entz, and I, along with Cole, I'm a pastor of the Sojourn, one of the Sojourn Houston churches. He's at Sojourn Montrose, and I'm um, at Sojourn Galleria, and I'm the uh, planter pastor there, and I've got three kids, Seth, Avery, Susanna, 10 and under, and Robin is my wife, and we live in the Galleria area, and uh, I spent some time before that in Scotland having adventures, and then before that, North Carolina and other places, but I'm from Houston, sixth generation Houstonian, and love Houston, and thought after Scotland, we got to call us maybe to continue to go east to possibly... Um, the global south, maybe India, but he, to our surprise, shock and awe, called us back home, right, kind of right back in the area of uh, town that we're from, West Houston. So it's sort of like uh, the beginning of Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton when he talks about, he metaphorizes his coming back to the faith as if he left, he went away from his home country on a journey around the world. And and when he came, he, he was traveling around the world and saw in the distance as he was on the ship sailing toward land, uh, a very foreign land with foreign creatures on it and exotic. It looked like a very exotic place. And the closer he got, he realized, oh, that's home. But he'd, he'd <laughs> gone all the way around the world and it took it took his going all the way around the world to come home and see it with the fresh eyes and with, with appreciation. So I feel in a, large, in a large way like that's sort of what God had to do with me. Um, so we're really glad to be back. We've been here for six years now and just... Uh, here we are in the middle of COVID, and just it's an adventure every day. So. Yeah. When did y'all launch at Sojourn Gallery? Oh, we planted, and this will become more apparent as to why I prefer the word plant to launch. Uh, but uh, 
as we look into the Psalm, the Psalm 65 here, but uh, we planted, launched uh, really early 2016, fall 2015 was sort of yeah. stutter steps, but every, every Sunday starting in 2016. So, Cool. Well, yeah. it's so good to have you. Thanks um, for having me. Taylor, one of the questions I like to ask everybody who, who comes on is, is just to explain a little bit about what role the Psalms play in their lives as a Christian. And so for you, what role do the Psalms play? Sure. Well, I, one of my favorite, in fact, we were in Scotland, uh, there's a BBC radio program called Desert Island Discs. It's on Radio 4 and it became, it was my friend, my best friend still there. It was his, one of his favorite podcasts and it became one of mine. And we would go to the um, Isle of Harris during the summertime with them. It's one of the Northwestern Hebridean islands. It's, um, you have to cross the Isle of Skye, which is more famous to get there. And we would play this game, and um, it's basically um, list your favorite music tracks that you'd take with you on a desert island. But he, we would, we would do that with books or with books of the Bible. And so I've asked a lot of people over the years since then, what, if you could take five books on a desert island of the Bible only, only five, which ones would you take? And for me, and for most people that I've asked, the Psalms are indispensable. One of two Old Testament books that I would take. Um, I can't imagine life without them. They cover the, they cover the gamut. And um, if, you're, if you're rejoicing, if you're in sorrow, if you're somewhere in between, I, um, I read the Psalms daily, meditated on them daily. Uh, I recently, about a year ago, started uh, Tim Keller's A Hero and um, someone I look up to a lot. And I, I recognized that he for about 25, 30 years, would read five psalms a day and space them throughout his day as sort of stations. Yeah. And so that gets you through the Psalter, the whole, all 150 psalms uh, every month. And he's been doing that for, so you get through you know, the whole Psalter 12 times a year. And he's been doing that for 30 years. And so um, they just get inside of you and become part of who you are and part of your warp and woof. And so I started doing that about 12 months ago. And it's been, it just, it's a great way to, it's a day, it's a part of your conversation with the Lord. Just every few hours, you read another psalm and you just feel like you're journeying with Him in the garden to kind of cast ahead to the psalm we're getting to. But yeah, they, uh, they're indispensable in a word. Yeah. Yeah, they would definitely be on my five. What are your other four? Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, Genesis and Psalms are the two Old Testament. And um, then I would go Luke. Romans and Revelation. I'm a big beginning and ending guy, so I, would, I usually start by saying Genesis, Revelation, take the middle book Psalms, and then my gospel is Luke, and then uh, my sort of um, summa theologica would be Romans. Yeah, Paul's magnum opus. So. I, I think I would share, I would share four of those, and then I would probably have Hebrews mm. or Exodus. Those are my two. My Those fifth. are six and seven yeah. for me. <laughs> and I've always tried to get Luke Axe in there. I'm like, can I take Luke Axe? <laughs> that count. Unless you have it in a, in a real scroll, then you can take it. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like hearing about Keller's influence there. I mm. recently read, and we actually did a podcast talking about uh, Bonhoeffer's little book on the Psalms. I don't know mm. if you've ever read no, it. No, I have not. It's a it's a little tiny resource. You can mm. read it in an afternoon. It's my kind of book. And he he recommended um, praying through mm. the Psalter in order um, daily. And he 
mm. his suggestion was a minimum of three per day. Right. Um, and sounds so, like a lot until you do it, and then after a while, like with any good habit, you can't imagine you're like what I can't what imagine not doing it. Like yeah. Without it. Yeah. 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 It's really just a couple minutes every each psalm, unless it's Psalm 119 for me was it part of the lineup this morning, but I actually just listened through that in the car, which is a travesty. You should really read it, but it's not, you know, even Psalm 119, I will say, just since we're, why not, but if somebody wants to try to adopt this, Psalm 119 has special place for me, so I make that. Um, these are separate from my quiet time. Like, I start with a psalm in the morning, and then I read whatever I'm reading in my devotional, and then throughout the day, I'll read the next four psalms. But with Psalm 119, I make that my, my quiet Weird. time for the day. Yeah. So that's kind of one way to do that, to carve up that, that turkey. Yeah, that's fair. So, um, Well, speaking of the Psalms, as we are doing, um, you wanted to, to talk about Psalm 65 uh, today. And, and you were, we were talking before we started recording just about um, some of the, the beautiful things that you find in there. And I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, but before... We do. Would you mind just reading that for us? Honored. Love that. This will be the best part of the podcast. God's Word. So this is to the choir master. And of course, these titles are part of Holy Writ, just like the words that follow. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Um, I know that that kind of as we're looking at the text in the ESV, and as you pointed out beforehand, there there seem to be kind of three clear sections uh, that are distinguished uh, from one another. Kind of, if we were thinking about this psalm as a song, which would be very appropriate yeah. to do. We forget that sometimes. Yeah. yeah, it would be, these are the three verses or movements right. in the psalm. Right. And so before we kind of dive into more specific things going on, it, just why don't you show us um, what, what those movements are? Sure. Maybe I can do that just by maybe reading a verse per movement just to give you some concrete detail. But yeah, the, I mean, I think all the commentators I've read agree that very 
three very clear movements, like you said, and the ESV helps us out with that by sort of spacing um, the movements, uh, the stanzas, I would call them. Um, and the first is really just a God of salvation, the Redeemer God. And one, one line that's very clear uh, that really talks to us about vicarious atonement would be uh, an expiation, to use a couple of theological terms, would be verse three. When iniquities prevail against me, which who, cannot, who can't identify with that, right? When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. And that word atone is the, the typical word uh, that's translated atone in the Hebrew, which is kafar, which means to cover, literally. So he covers, he covers our transgressions, and we see how that happens, of course, at the cross. Um, that's so so we, we move from a rich uh, stanza of redemption and salvation and atonement to uh, a picture of God as creator. It's quite magnificent. It's awesome. He's, he bears his holy arm and he is effortlessly almost in control of everything from the, the crashing waves to the mountains to the, the, the peoples in tumult. Um, so maybe to pick, pick up on one of those, um, he is the God, verse 7, who stills the roaring of the seas with the roaring of their waves and the tumult of the people. So it sort of transitions seamlessly from the waves roaring around to the people roaring around and kind of reminds you of Psalm 2 there. Um, God's response to, to the kings and the nations sh- shaking their fists at God is to laugh at them. And he's, his, his solution is the King Jesus that he's, set on, that he's going to set on David's throne. So, so that's the sort of movement from Redeemer to Creator, Mighty Creator. And then, as we talked about earlier, he kind of get a zoom down from this awesome God who's Creator to a God who is Maintainer and Provider, a sort of providential God. And I like to think of this last stanza as God the Gardener. It's a very intimate, bucolic, pastoral stanza and picture of, of God as in control of all things, but really with us and, and with his creation and caring for it, like as kind of a God with a water can going around softening ridges. My favorite line in the whole poem, I'll just pick it, it would be um, probably 11. So 10 says, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth, but then 11, you crown the year with your bounty, and here's the line, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. What a wonderful, and we'll maybe talk about that but as we get into it, but it's just, um, yeah. So redeemer and savior to creator, mighty creator, and then zoom lens down into God as, as a gardener and an intimate provider. Yeah, and, and I think those are those are really, it's helpful to, to think through that as we kind of revisit and, and go, into more depth as we talk about this psalm. One of the things that we were talking about before is is kind of the first the first stanza of redemption and salvation speaks very much to this um, you know of David pouring out his heart with with gratitude and worship simply because God has made himself known to him and he's, mm. he's forgiven him. He's drawn him near. And so mm. there's this, there's this intimate relationship between David and, and, and Yahweh. And then he moves to kind of zooming out and looking, what are the implications mm. of this sort of God mm. in the world around me? Mm. Um, and, and so earlier we were talking about stanza two and three and, and kind of this, this narrowing in. You mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was just saying to Cole that one of the things I really appreciate, for me, the, 
I picked this psalm. He gave me a sort of range uh, of psalms to pick from, and I uh, I picked 65, partly because it's overlooked um, between some justly famous, maybe Psalm 63 and Psalm 73, which are two of my favorites. Psalm 63 might be my number one, but um, 65 is overlooked, partly for that reason, and maybe partly just because it's a it's a psalm of harvest. It's a psalm just praising God for uh, for giving bounty, putting food on the table, and making ma- making plants to grow and other things to happen that we often take for granted. Um, but for me, the whole the psalm is 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 a standout because of the third stanza, which is God the gardener. Um, but it wouldn't be the third stanza and the intimacy there wouldn't be nearly as impactful to me if we didn't have the thirty thousand foot second stanza, which is God of the mountains, God of the roaring seas, God who's king over the tumult of the peoples. And then it's almost like a crop duster comes, you come down from a jet airliner up above the clouds to, to coming right, right over the, the furrows and the ridges. And then even getting out of the plane and just walking, walking through the dirt and, uh, and tending to the plants. And that's really that, that descent, um, from Mount Zion, as it were, down into the, into the dirt. That's, which takes us, of course, as you said earlier, to our Lord and Savior and the cross. But Yeah, well, and I, I think there's really in all three of these stanzas, there's clear prophetic language that is ultimately fulfilled mm. when we have mm. the narrative of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Mm. Uh, like there is, there is no way in which David can pray that God atones for his transgressions mm. if there was not a cross no. for, for Christ to be crucified upon. That's right. Um, and there's no way for David to be the one who is blessed as one who is chosen and brought near if Christ wasn't blessed and brought near. Mm-hmm. Um, or if or also if Christ wasn't cursed and, and moved away. Far, far away from God. <laughs> yeah. Infinitely away. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. The, the second stanza, the... Mm-hmm the Christology of, of who is the hope of all the ends of the earth, if not for, for our savior. Mm. Um, and who is the one who we've seen still the seas? Like mm-hmm. we have That's right. historical account of him stilling the seas. Yeah. And, the, and those sorts of accounts are so much richer having the old Testament as background, um, for them. So when he walks on the waters, it's not just a miracle. It's he's saying, I am the God of, I'm Yahweh creator. I'm the yeah. God of Psalm 65. Yeah. yeah. With all power. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. That's one of the things that, mm. that Bonhoeffer mm. spoke to so much is how, how the Psalms teach us how to pray and they teach us how to pray primarily because, because they are, are the prayers of Christ and the prayers mm. about Christ. Wow. And, and so we can only pray them because Christ has prayed them for us and prayed them on our behalf and prayed them continues going to. before us. Yeah. And to intercede for to us. That's that. his continuing yeah. work for us. Yeah. That's good. And I love too, if I may, I mean, if I'm speaking out of place, just tell me, I'm glad to stop. But I love how, um, I mean, the first stanza is, is, uh, so rich and it speaks of, we've spoken of some of, it speaks of vicarious atonement and how God covers over our sins with something that, you know, back all the way back in Genesis, uh, you know, three, God was, he killed an innocent animal to cover sinful Adam and Eve. And of course that was a picture of Christ. And, um, and we see it, we see it ultimately in Jesus, his covering over our sins. But then you have that advance from that to like you, you touched on just a second ago. Um, blessed is the one. So that's in verse three, 
but then blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. And uh, just that, that not only do we have atonement, we have election. We have sort of Romans 9 just sort of shrunken down and reduced into a single beautiful half verse here. Um, it's so clear there. You can't argue with that. He's the one who chooses us. And it's a tender choosing, like a father adopting a child, a father and a mother adopting a child. And to bring near, to be brought near to God and to dwell with him is ultimate favor. And the idea there, it's, it's even enriched by the Old Testament architecture of the fact it's, you, you bring us near to dwell in your courts. And the, you know, the courts of God were, were, there was a lot of hierarchy. There were a lot of fences. There were a lot of um, layers to that. You know, you had the, um, all of the earth, is the Lord's, but then Israel was God's special land. And then within that, God's holy city, Zion, that he picked for himself through David, um, is elevated. It's higher up. It's harder to get to. And then the temple is the highest place on, on the, in that high city. And that's even more exclusive. And then you have the court of the Gentiles. And then within that, you have a place where only the Jews can go, but only the women can go into a certain... And then after that, if you're a man, Jewish man, you can go farther. But then after that, if you're not a priest, forget about it. If you're a priest, if you're of the tribe of Levi, then you can keep going. And then, you know, only if you're serving in the temple can you go into the actual temple. And then the Holy of Holies where God comes once a year. Um, and atonement is made for the people. Like that's that's one priest out of one tribe on all the faith. So it's it's so exclusive, but it's God who brings us in. And ultimately, again, it's, it's through Christ. But, and then, so it moves from atonement to... Uh, election, and then and then just with this beautiful picture of satisfaction, it's so Davidic, but we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. Like just that being satisfied in God. Like he atones for us, he chooses us. This is our theology because it's true, it's biblical. We know this, we're so thankful. But man, ultimately, like the meat potatoes, man, we're satisfied with him and everything about him. Like he, he is our portion. Yeah. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need. Yeah. He's it. He's the one our soul craves, and we run after other stuff, but none of that satisfies. So I just love it's it's even that stands alone is so rich. Sure, yeah, and kind of springboard springboards you into stanzas two and three. So the the piece that the meat and potatoes, as you said, which I I think I think that's a helpful way to to put the the Christian life is a life of of growing in satisfaction in mm. the Lord mm. um, in some ways mm. in a lot of ways and yeah I think if we looked at the last maybe four or five months that mm. that we've been living through uh, in the midst of a pandemic and just society kind of around every corner seems to be falling apart at the seams yeah. in certain ways and I think what what folks who are listening you know, brothers and sisters in the faith, I think some of them in the last four months w- would say, well, while this has been difficult, I've, it, it's taught me to be satisfied in the Lord mm-hmm. in a whole new way. And I've, I've grown in being satisfied in the Lord. And yet I, I would say probably a lot of our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. are, are wondering how, like, how can I be mm-hmm. satisfied mm-hmm. when, when things seem mm-hmm. so desperately hopeless at times or so full of conflict and rivalry at times. Mm. And, and you were speaking earlier as we were kind of walking through the Psalm beforehand to, to how the third stanza can kind of speak Mm. to where we are Mm. as a people in in this moment. And so 
So maybe if we moved away from just looking at the theological realities that are in this psalm, like how would you just pastor us mm. through that? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, let me just say a few things, and then I'd love, I'd love to, for this to be a joint effort because I'd love to hear what you have to say as a pastor as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the things I love about this psalm is that it's, there's, no, there's no pretense about any of the psalms, but this one is, is it, it finishes with a God who's a gardener. It's very um, concrete. It's, um, it's full of this wonderful garden imagery. And, and yet, at the same time, it's, it's sort of, uh, it casts us, it sort of reduces the whole biblical narrative into, into one stanza. And what I mean by that is that God as gardener really takes us back to the garden. Um, and the first stanza really talks about sin and the problem of sin and the atonement. And of course, that, that reminds us of, the, of creation and fall. Um, but, but God is gardener. He made us for himself. Uh, but then it casts us forward too. And I think that's one of the things that can be helpful and maybe a good pastoral word to us is that um, this can seem a bit idyllic mm-hmm. and let, until we realize, you know, God is a gardener. Like what? We're in the middle of a pandemic here. My life does not feel like this at all. Um, but, you know, w- one, of the, one of the verses in here sort of will help us to see this. Verse 12 says, the pastures of the wilderness and the Hebrew is there is Devar, which is just a standard word for desert or wilderness. It's a place that our sin is, uh, our sin is made deserts and wilderness of the world as a reason our Lord was tempted in a desert, not in a garden. He was tempted in a garden too, right? Sure. But our sin had made of his beautiful, bounteous, garden-esque creation a waste, a howling waste, and that's where he was tempted. Um, and um, so the pastures of the wilderness, what? because of God's presence and his gardening overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. Creation comes alive in God's presence and under his um, sovereign rule and under his intimate, tender hand. And uh, that really casts us forward to um, the fact that, you know, creation is groaning now, but it's always not, it's not always going to be that way. It won't always be so. And he is making all things new. And one day he's going to wipe away Revelation 21. He's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes and he's going to finish what he started. Um, and he's going to bring his victory to bear, the one that he won at the cross and, uh, and was validated at the resurrection. And, and he's, going to, he's going to bring heaven down, and he's going to come down and rule among us, and he's going to make all things to flourish, and, and he's going to do away with pain and make everything sad come untrue, as Tolkien says through Sam Gamgee. So um, I just think that that hope, having that eschatological, to use a big fancy theological word, but having a hope that where we cast forward to not where we are, the fact that God is with us now where we are. We know that because of Christ, because of the incarnation. He came and went beneath us if we are indeed in Christ. He went lower than we will ever go. He tasted hell for all who would look to him. Um, But at the same time, um, he's with us, but he's also taking us somewhere. Mm. He's not going to leave us here. He's going to make all things new. And all sadness is going to dissipate and be done away with. And it's going to be, he's going to make the sadness and the pain worth it. He's going to take that stuff and make it and bring so much beauty out of it that we'll be glad that it happened. It's almost scandalous as that is to say. The tenderness that'll come out of his taking us on his lap and wiping away the tears from our cheeks 
will that'll come out of the painful moments and it'll be a result of them and that'll be sweet and we'll be able to talk about um the nail scarred hands and reflect back on what he rescued us from forever and that'll be part of that'll be part of paradise that'll be part of the beauty of the new creation so i think that's that's all packed in here all that and more yeah so it's a very unassuming psalm on the surface but it's rich and it covers the whole gamut so yeah i think i think that's so helpful and and to just kind of bounce off of those ideas there's i think the what you were talking about of this this language of God as a gardener, it, it reminds us, right, of the beginning of the end. You already said that, of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and Revelation 21, mm-hmm. the new heavens and the new earth, fully consummated, fully glorified. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think the being able to look back and forward is always helpful. I was, I was talking with a friend recently who who is who's kind of experiencing a bit of a spiritual crisis and and one of the things that i encouraged was was all throughout the the narrative of the people of israel god calls them to remember mm. right remember i am the one who brought you out of egypt mm-hmm. um he calls them to set up m- memorials and mm. and all these places so that when even their children visit them they would remember that God was faithful that he saw us through um mm. and, and i think in the midst of suffering looking back at the times in which God has been faithful yeah um it allows us to for the future hope of glory to not just be a- an intellectual exercise you know, because sometimes for me, that's what it is. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I know the answers right. of, you know, I have, I have the correct theology of how things will be. Um, but looking back helps me really place myself in a reality that I can actually trust that. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just an answer on a test. It's, it's a real hope that I can hold on to. And hmm. there's present tense language here, too. Yes, that's right. right. Like the Lord's, you visit the earth. He visits you the water earth. water it. Mm-hmm. And he has in Christ. He's visited the earth and watered it. But mm-hmm. he does now by his spirit and mm-hmm. by the ministry of his church. And and so there's not only future hope, but there's present hope. Um, and and I think there's even hmm. a, a, a call to redemption if we're, if we're brave enough to go there with the very verse that you were that you were calling to, the pastures of the wilderness overflow, the hills gird themselves with joy. Like God has visited the earth. He's watered it. He has greatly enriched it. And, and what has he done in doing those things? He's established a people who are new among people who are old. Mm-hmm. Um, he's established those who bear the image of a new humanity mm-hmm. in, in a new creation. And and like, why do we plant churches so that the pastures of the wilderness would overflow, so that the the Galleria mm-hmm. would overflow with living water through God's people, proclaiming yeah. the truth of Jesus? Um, and, and so, I think it's easy to to experience the suffering that we're experiencing and just grow despondent. And and mm-hmm. I understand that there have certainly been times in the last four months that I've been despondent. Yeah. Um, but what I've been realizing personally lately is, is a lot of times what I've been wanting is for, uh, just my suffering to be alleviated Mm -hmm. and ignoring the reality that 
that that maybe there's joy in mm. participating in the work of redemption in the midst of suffering. Yeah. Um, like suffering has always been an ingredient on the way to glory in God's redemption. That's right. Um, the light stands out. I mean, the diamond pops against the black right. background, you know? Um, the valley of vision, the stars are always brighter from the, the dark place. That's good. Yeah. And that's why the holes in his hands will be at the center of the universe, because it'll make our rejoicing all the more wondrous and beautiful. And we'll remember. We'll always remember. It'll right. all be an ingredient in our happiness. Yeah. That's good. And I think this, too, we were talking about this as well beforehand, but it just reminds us, sort of as has already been said, but of I think there can be a smallness in our conception of our salvation uh, in that uh, you ask a typical maybe evangelical American Christian what is salvation Um, and they might say in short God saves sinners and that's true that's 100% true thank God it's 100% true Um, and that's a Packer line right three three words if you forget what salvation is that's a great three words remember God saves sinners and he does it through Jesus Christ alone Um, but that's not that's not the whole package. That's, that's part of our salvation, but it's not the whole thing. And, and um, as we were saying earlier, part of ancient texts is position. I remember learning this at university, but like position tended to be much more important in, in older texts. And certainly this is a 3,000-year-old text, and, and it's a poem. So in poems, position could be particularly important. But it has three stanzas. There's a movement going on. Um, but in the whole Bible, you have, um, which God has written, it's one author through many authors, human authors, but... There's a narrative. There's a there's something that he's writing in the pages, but it's it's a narrative of space time. It's what he's doing. It's the point of all things. Is is what's given to us in the scriptures. It's what is what God is doing in space and time, and and we can tell what it's about, what the whole narrative is about by looking at the beginning. How it how does it start and how does it end? Um, it starts with creation in Genesis, and it ends with as you were saying the new creation. Um, and and as Christ shows us, it all hangs together and is made possible and, and, and as Paul tells us in Colossians uh, through Jesus because of Jesus and so um, the fact that like you kind of see all that here in this ostensibly simple psalm with like we said the first stanza is about salvation and atonement and election and being satisfied in God but then it moves to the creator and then it finishes with um, with God as an, a, prov- a providential intimate God, a gardener, and so um, it just reminds us that it's our 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 salvation uh, and what God is doing is not just about our personal salvation, but it's about the restoration of all things. And sort of like you kind of took that a minute ago and said that's what as a people were to be about is to see the restoration of 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 people and of place in the geography that He's given to us. Um, and you kind of see that packed into this this psalm here. God cares about things; He made them good. And he doesn't. He doesn't um, abandon his 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 creation. Yeah. Quite the contrary, he he gave himself for it right. at, at infinite cost. So. Yeah, and I think that's where the zooming in from kind of the thirty thousand foot to ground level becomes particularly helpful for Christians in the midst of suffering. Is is it's not that ju- God just cares about his creation in that he just cares about the general thrust, the general movement toward all things being new. But he cares about it intimately, as we see in verses 9 through 13. Mm-hmm. He, he visits and waters. I mean, the, you were saying there's this image of, of God as a gardener just holding the watering can, mm-hmm. you know, or, or with his knees in the dirt. Mm-hmm. And, 
and that it, it is not just that he does that over the natural created order so that we can have sustenance, right? Like some of this is just about like the beauty of God providing harvest that we sure. have food and water yep. and like that's grace. Um, be a great Thanksgiving song. Right. Know, when the turkey's <laughs> Absolutely. On the table. Yeah. yeah. But, but there's also a way in which like he does that for us when we are dry and weary, yeah. he, he waters us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I love the language of the hills gird themselves with joy. Oh. Like to gird yourself with joy. It I mean, comes alive. It's yeah, clothing. It's, it's clothing itself. Christmas morning. It's just yeah. like. I imagine like nature as, or creation would be a better word, right? As like clicking its heels in the air. That's kind of what yeah. it's doing here. It's throwing itself a party. It's putting on its best garments. It's alive. And if that's what, if that's a picture of what creation is going to be doing, this groaning broken order that we see around us, that's still so beautiful, right? Then what are we going to be like? Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a great hope that we have. We're, we've tasted it now, but we're still living in the Shadowlands. The best is certainly yet to come. And I love, uh, just would hate to finish this without saying, not that you know, you're the boss, but um, <laughs> who knows when, we're, when we'll be closing this down, but just to slip in verse 12 again, we, I think I read it earlier, but um, actually verse 11, sorry, you crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. To me, that's a favorite line for so many reasons, but it's just like God can't help himself. And it's like, he's on a wagon and the wagon is making these ruts and these soft and settled ridges of dirt. And everywhere he goes behind him, there's just bounty that grows up in his wake. And it, it's to me, I, the picture of Gandalf um, in Lord of the Rings and yeah. the fellowship of the rings comes to mind when he's on the wagon and he comes up to Frodo and he comes up, he crests the hill and, uh, like fireworks are popping off behind mm-hmm. his wagon and all the, all the hobbit children are running around and it's just like everywhere he goes there's life and there's, sure. mi- there's mystery and intrigue. It and makes you think Tolkien had that in mind. Yeah, yeah. And I know he was quite a student of the Old Testament. You can see traces of it all throughout his book. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a picture of joy and of, of, uh, of fecund, uh, fertile life. And um, that's our God. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, that's... The, the beauty of that image that you just explained of of wherever the Lord has been, <laughs> like bounty follows. That's right. And, and a lasting mark is left. Like a mm. wagon track is I like a, that. It's a lasting mark and yeah. and it the the legacy of God's redemption. Um mm. and mm. is that's what a beautiful thought. Like what if what if he used us in our frailty mm. and in our few decades that we have mm. um, to to leave um, those kind of wagon tracks those kind of wagon tracks that's yeah. beautiful um, man that's hopeful it is and it and it's something that feels I, I love the psalms and when Dodds was on he he was talking about just how there's a beauty in and a helpfulness in poetry when it when it gives us these images and these words that um, maybe at first glance mm. can seem uh, more complex or or less straightforward than they could be mm-hmm. but then when we really sink into them they there's there's such a lasting effect mm. of of that image right like it's a, mm-hmm. it's much easier to to have the image of fireworks coming off the back of Gandalf's <laughs> wagon and think about how that is the way that God th- moves throughout mm. creation than it is to 
to to remember maybe a theological essay sure. on 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 how that works itself out. Sure. Um, yeah, it's well, you know, our minds work such that we'll probably not be able to forget that image, and that's like you're saying, that's the point of this poetry. Um, and yeah, the, I mean, it's similar with the settling its ridges. Like anyone who's watered uh, or seen rain fall on a um, a newly plowed ridge, you see it settle, settle mm-hmm. down, and it's just such a concrete. And, and Hebrew is a very concrete language, which is one of the things that's w- wonderful about it to me. But yeah, it's just a very concrete, beautiful pastoral passage, especially the third stanza, which I think everything sort of funnels into. I, I can almost think of it as a fountain, a three-tiered fountain, with the top stanza being the first stanza being the top, and then it kind of trickles down into the second stanza, the God of creation, and then the third stanza it just catches it all. Uh, with the gardener, God the gardener, but um, you know, back to the um, the wagon tracks and the and the overflow of life. Just uh, it's the opposite. Now, this idea of God, which is the true idea, is the very one that Satan wants to rob us of. And you hear things like the cosmic killjoy, and that's the popular conception of God. Is you know he's going to snap your hand with the ruler if you don't obey the rules. And this gives us the truth, which is it just it just eviscerates that that image and it. And of course, the truth is a person. Um, he's he's shown us who he is in Christ, and so when we see him, we see the Father, and he's a God of of bounty and of goodness, and who moves into suffering, takes it upon himself, and then releases this joy in life as he buries the death in himself. And it's uh, it's beautiful. It is indeed beautiful. Well, Taylor, thanks so much for joining me. And thanks uh, for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, and sharing in the beauty of this psalm and. And just, uh, yeah, being able to talk through that, it's, I, I found it helpful and encouraging. And hopefully uh, those who choose to listen will find it uh, to be so as well. Yeah, amen. Amen.